this is our livelihood. This is how we eat. This is how we provide. So the stakes are a little bit higher down the stretch of games, especially when, like I said before, the window of error and the window of opportunity to win games in the West, like you see how close we are from 3-13, like you need every win and every possession matters. And I think that's why you see the anger at times when it's the neglect and then it's the look that you get when you, <laughs> you kind of ask them about the foul. Welcome back to the CJ McCollum Show. This is the crossover episode with Brian Windhorse. I'm joined, as always, by Izzy Gutierrez. As you can see, I'm bundled up. I'm in Denver. It's really cold. I'm now used to 76-degree weather in New Orleans, and I'm not happy about being in the cold um, on these road trips. But that's life. We're here. We need to get a win um, in the worst way. We're going to get a win. And I'm speaking this into existence right now. Fellas, what's been going on? How's life? Sure, it's better than mine right now. What's, Doing great. What's, what's Thanks. Happening? Thanks for coming back, Wendy. Um, CJ, I don't feel like we need to uh, discuss any sort of losing streak because by the time this airs, maybe you'll have won a game. So let's just talk about the good thing and like, welcome back, Brandon Ingram. Uh, what do you what do you yeah, see? You know, they're not very good on their home floor. No, no worries, CJ. They're, they barely ever win at home. I'm sure it'll be a cakewalk for you guys. It's exactly what you're looking for when you're on a losing streak is to go play at Denver. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, Brandon Ingram <laughs> is back. Happy to have him back. Um, it was a long time coming with him being out for so long. And obviously the season being in ebbs and flows with wins and losses and other injuries we've gone through. Understanding Z's out now. Dyson's out. We've had Herb out. We've had a lot of guys in other rotation, a lot of guys that have stepped up and, and showcased their abilities and what they have to offer um, to our team and our organization. And now we're in a spot, like I said before, where B.I. is coming back, so he's getting acclimated to the game, how we're playing, where we're at. He's getting his conditioning right, his timing and his rhythm and his balance right. But right away, you know, we felt the impact of the gravity that he has at the offensive end, you know, with his ability to drive and kick, get us in the bonus, um, he can post up, has a mid-post game, and he's a, a high IQ basketball player that knows how to pass. So for me, my shot quality has definitely gone up since he returned and getting catch and shoot threes, some easy looks, um, getting some one-on-one -on -one closeouts and not as many double teams, hard hedges or traps um, as prior to to his return. So I'm I'm happy he's back. Our team's happy he's back. And now it's time for us to get back to our winning ways. It was a weird Saturday night for the NBA. Uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, if you guys saw it live. I happen to be in Philly. I was at the uh, Sixers Nuggets game, which nobody talked about afterward because of this ending between the Lakers and the Celtics. And I kind of fell asleep and woke up in like the middle of the night, reviewed all of it and was just shocked. And I thought uh, LeBron not getting the foul call and his reaction was funny. I thought Pat Beverly bringing out the camera was, was funny. And then Mike Breen with the classic, just absolutely ridiculous uh, line when he called it was even better icing on the cake. CJ, uh, I want to ask you in a second what what we think you can do or what you can ask of referees if we're just doing a poor job. Uh, but Brian, uh, when you saw that, what did you make of it? And your mind went where exactly? Because it seemed to be like a pretty extreme referee situation. And when you involve LeBron James in anything, it just amplifies it a ton. I am a referee defender. I, for years, have defended how hard the job is, also how good the NBA officials are. 
Because I'm telling you, if you see across the world, and I'm sure CJ has watched his brother playing games, the officiating level, first off, college basketball is atrocious. It's atrocious, especially down the low at the lower, like the mid-major levels. I mean, with all due respect, I'm not saying everybody, but you watch these games and it's 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 horrifying. Um, you watch the games overseas. My God, the the uh, you know I cover a lot of international basketball, FIBA. It's a horror show. Okay, so. Um, the NBA officiating is not perfect. Everybody will admit that, but it is very good. Is it better? Is it, is it as good right now as it's been in my 20 years in the league? No, I do not think we're in a good period with officiating, but I do defend officials. And I also, and I mean, it's easy for me to do. I mean, my role is to be impartial, um, especially like if it's after a game, especially a hotly contested game. And I'm coming to CJ and saying, hey, what happened on that play? It's his, winning and losing is his life, his livelihood. He's going to have a different perspective than me who's sitting back and watching it. I understand that. But I do think it's my role sometimes to say, hey, the referees, are, they do a pretty good job. I would say high, high, high percentage of the time, the officials do not um, determine the outcome of a game. Um, I've said 99%. Other people could, could, dis, could um, disagree with me, but this was the 1% or the whatever percent, because that was obviously a foul. Everybody knows it, you know, um, very disappointing. And I think the reason LeBron reacted the way he reacted was not because of that individual play. I mean, it was, but it's because they have gotten the short end of the stick in a, in a, in a few games in the last couple of weeks. Even and, just down the stretch of that game, there was a handful sort of back to back to back. Andy's in Boston, which is the place he wants to win just about more than anywhere. Um, there's a lot of factors that led to that reaction. But, I, you know, on balance, I think the officiating is pretty good. It's just that was a, a letdown moment. Well, we've talked about it, and I, I feel like it's – I mean, CJ and I have talked about it, uh, mostly me. Um, and I feel like it's been as bad as it's been since I've followed the league. And I think one of the sort of obvious reasons is just a lot of fresh faces and it's not because they're bad. It's just, Hey, you put too many newer people in a situation where we're used to this type of performance and you're going to get some, some off performances and you get too many of those in a row. And it's, it's a poor trend. Um, But this sort of seemed like a culmination of what had been a lot of complaining and a lot of sort of badly officiated games. And so I'm wondering if there needed to be a reaction like that in order for, you know, something to try to get done. But then I wondered, CJ, what can get done? Like outside of asking the referees to do better uh, at your job, is it, is it, I mean, are you asking them literally to do more training in season? Are you asking them to have some sort of different accountabilities? Like what is the ask when, you know, when there's sort of a consensus about this? That's tough. I just want to go on on the record saying that I love the term referee defender. And now I'm going to take on that <laughs> mantra. And I'm a, I'm also a referee defender because I understand how hard it is to referee because I referee in my kids camps and it's very hard um, to do and to, to do it consistently and to do it effectively and do it accurately. And they are the most accurate in all sports. If you look at, you know, like you talked about watching my brother's games in Europe Um Playing at the mid-major level, I can speak to mid-major referees. Oh man, I'm thankful. I'm in the. I can only imagine some of those road games, probably that you had in the Patriot League. There's a reason why I only have two championship rings. Uh, The third one was taken away from me at Bucknell, where I was fouled by Mike Muscala, who admitted to fouling me with two seconds left in the game, and us down one, only to say that's not why they won. 
as an 85% free throw shooter in college with a chance to <laughs> make one out of two for overtime two sends us home. Um, that's one of the reasons why I only won two championships. The other reason is that I broke my foot my senior year, but I know what bad refereeing looks like because I've experienced it a lot at the collegiate level and in high school and watching my little cousin's games online and watching my brother's games in Europe. I have a, a great appreciation of our referees and what they go through. With that being said, I will say this as a professional athlete, I miss layups far often, probably more than I should. Right. Although my layups are a little bit harder than other people. LeBron's missed dunks before some of the most athletic people in the world have missed dunks before. And I say all this to say that it's similar to referees missing easy calls, right? It happens sometimes. The problem is that it shouldn't happen all the time. And right now I think it's more magnified because of social media, because of our access, because of the fact that we're paying attention. And I think a few calls that have been missed um, down the stretch of games have kind of stacked on top of each other, specifically with the Lakers. And I think that's why you see more frustration from players, more frustration from fans, because you got a situation where arguably the greatest player of all time, right? You can argue yes or no. You can argue all of those things, but you won't have, won't be able to argue the fact that he's the leading score in NBA history. and It'll be top five in assists. If he's not getting calls down the stretch of games, that's the problem I have with my team is like, what do you guys want me to say? Like LeBron's not getting that foul sometimes down the stretch of games. Like you think you're going to get it. You know what I mean? And I think, I think it takes us down a, a spiraling angry situation in which this is all I want from referees, right? You're going to miss calls. I completely understand. And I agree. Like it's going to happen. I'm going to miss layups. I'm going to have bad nights or off nights. It happens. I just want accountability. What I don't like is when a ref misses a call, they look at me like I'm crazy. I say, Hey, check that at halftime, and they don't have the accountability of, yeah, I missed that one, that's on me. What I love to see is, I think that was a foul, CJ? I'll check it out. They check it out, and they come back and say it. Or they come back and say, hey, I watched it. I don't think that was a foul. Here's why. That's a positive dialogue that we as players, and me specifically, I can speak to. I love to have that type of dialogue because that means you care about your job, you care about your craft, you're not too prideful, but you're also willing to have a conversation, like as Brian said before, this is our livelihood. This is how we eat. This is how we provide. So the stakes are a little bit higher than the stretch of games, especially when, like I said before, the window of error and the window of opportunity to win games in the West, like you see how close we are from three to 13, like you need every win and every possession matters. And I think that's why you see the anger at times when it's the neglect and then it's the look that you get when you, <laughs> when you kind of ask them about the foul. Well, what about this ask um, for both of you? Like, what if is this something serious enough where we can go in season during the all-star break and adjust the challenge rules and say maybe no, as long happen. as you win to the challenge get a th or maybe just get another challenge within the final two minutes of a, of a close game or anything like here's that the thing that here's, here's the thing about that season? here's the thing i mean jeff van gundy said that they didn't call a foul on that play so even if the lakers had a challenge they couldn't have challenged it you know i mean um, but wouldn't you know, that be wouldn't that incline the referees to then make the call if it's if they're sort of, you know, the idea of swallowing your whistle or whatever, they'll say, you know what, I'll make the call. They have a challenge. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know, look, I, I think what happened there, my my suspicion is I don't think it's a structural thing. I don't think it's about the rules. I think the referee didn't want to call, didn't want to have the game end on the foul line. And so he was going to allow some contact and he didn't understand that the contact got LeBron on the arm. You know, when I looked at it live, I couldn't tell how, how he got him on the arm, how bad it was. 
LeBron's reaction obviously indicated that he thought he was aggrieved. And then when you look at the replay, it wasn't even close. But even looking live, as I watched it, I, I couldn't tell. So I, I think my suspicion is that regardless of the, of the, of the, uh, of the challenge there and everything, you're still not going to be able to, to get it right. Um, the, the, the purpose, I think, of the, of the challenge is to try to correct a whistle that was wrong. In this case, you can't correct a whistle that was never blown. And I'm not sure what you're going to do. I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what you can do about that. You just kind of have to live with it. You know, though, CJ, I wonder if guys, I suspect officials talk to you differently. Now, do you you think the officials treat you differently since you've been, um, you became the president of the Players Union? I think our relationship is better now because of, them being able to know that side of me, like I'm on every call. I'm on the competition committee calls. I'm on calls that we talk about changes in the game. I'm on the calls with Monty, Byron, Adam, you name somebody within the NBA. I'm on the call with them. And I think the mutual respect that we have for one another, because now I get to see the work that, that they do behind the scenes. I get to see what goes into the film study. I get to see what goes into their preparation. I also get to see how good every referee is, rated in terms of the consistency and the efficiency and i have that relationship to where i have a better understanding of them they have a better understanding of me so i think the dialogue is different and i've been in the league 10 years compared to when i was first in the league i didn't really know any of the referees i didn't really say much i would get technicals every now and then just out of frustration or anger because i just felt like i was slighted or i felt like we needed energy as a team but now it's like when i get a technical like it's because they missed a call and i'm just pissed off but i'm on this you know, part of my, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions, but part of my peace and my tranquility and my meditation and you know, going through my meditation apps and, and like graduating from different classes was that I have to be better for my teammates and I'm going to not get a technical again until March. So, but then I, once March comes, nah, it's, it's on. Once, once March comes, I'm back to my old ways. <laughs> okay. True or false. I was talking to a referee. I don't remember when this came up. I feel like this was during the playoffs last year. And they told me that there are two players in the league who examine the ball uh, at, you know, they bring you the ball before the game. Is that correct? And you get to choose mm-hmm. the ball. And I choose the ball. Two players are the most, what's the correct verb here to not Annoying. offend one of them. Persnickety, like um, thorough, Pers- thorough in, in um, choosing the ball and the air in the ball and whatnot. One of them is, Chris Paul. The other one is CJ McCollum, according to this ref I was talking to, which is interesting because you guys played each other in the playoffs last year and I, you come to the center of the court and you both are like, got the microscope out. Is this true? Is this a true or false statement, Mr. McCollum? I think it's probably true, but here's the thing. The funny part is this. Is this why I don't get calls? First thing, second, (laughs) second thing, just being honest here. Second thing is this, um, looking at the situation, I used to be very cognizant of the balls because remember we switched to the new basketballs, right? So it was a thing in, in Portland, I never really checked the balls. I left it to Dame or Anthony. We make the rookies go do it. When I got traded to new Orleans, it was supposed to be BI's job. BI was supposed to choose the basketballs. I blame him for this. And this is all his fault. He was supposed to choose the basketballs because I was like, look, I can shoot with any ball. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. But we need to break these balls in because the balls that we had weren't broken in from Wilson. 
he forgot to do it at the beginning of the season. So we had these new basketballs and they were terrible at home. I don't know how we went at home because those, those balls were trash. Long story short, now before the games, I literally grab the balls and I do examine them. I examine the out of those basketballs and I, I spin them around. I shoot each one individually. I hold it. And I look at the referees and I say, which one do you think is the oldest? Like the, the most worn in basketball. And they tell me, and I get the ball again. I call BI over. He comes, he touches the ball. So I'm not disagreeing with him. I definitely do that. But then at the end, you know what I say? You choose. <laughs> so I do all of that at the beginning. I, I kind of narrow it down to two basketballs and then I give it back to them and say, you choose. I let them pick. So I think that's funny that they pay attention because I do examine the basketballs. Who thoroughly. has veto power, the home or the road team? I mean, you have veto. Who, has, who gets, you know, if you, if you disagree, who gets to choose? That's a great question because sometimes we'll be on the road and the other team will have picked the ball or they'll come up to me and I'll say who picked it. And when they tell me who picked it, depending on who picked it, I'll pick a different one. <laughs> this is, this is the game within the game, Izzy. Exactly. This is the game within this the game. This is the stuff the fans don't see and they don't know about. And but it happens let me ask every you this, night. when you go head to head with Chris Paul, who is unrelenting on everything to pick the ball in a playoff game. Cause after that guy told me that yeah, I was watching. Wins? How, what is that strategy like going against Chris Paul? Well, first of all, the basketballs of Phoenix are perfect. All three of them are great basketballs. I'm sure for good reason. They've broken them in perfectly. They have the right amount of air in them. The balls aren't slippery. You know how like some arenas like Boston, for instance, it's so cold. It's like the hockey floors. Balls a little slippery. It's not bouncing up right. People don't understand that. Like this, the, the Celtics arena is just cold, cold. <laughs> There's usually ice underneath there, isn't there? Yeah, but even when the, the ice season. isn't underneath there, it's cold. It's man. freezing. It's just, Every player's in here like, like that the entire time. I have Especially a question, in CJ. the morning. Yeah, in the shoot-around. Right. So when you pick out the basketball, is, there's a, is there a backup that's also decided upon? Because I've seen a ton of games where, you know, basketball knocks over a drink, gets soaked, and they got to replace it. Yeah, so do they replace it with a random one or a backup one? We had blood on the, on the ball in the last game, so they had to switch them out. And... It didn't help us. We ended up losing anyway. But I think that's a great question. I'm imagining that out of the three balls, right, like you pick one and then they just take one as a backup, like one that's either similar or one that's in that rotation or, or group that they kind of they checked out because they got to check the amount of air in the ball. Like there's all these procedures and the refs can go into more detail about it. But there's like a whole like process for how we get down to those balls. It's hmm. crazy. Also. You know what the referees go through after games. Like they, if they make a mistake, people are like, there's no, there's no consequence. I see people going, you know, the ref should get fined. Uh, you know, there's no consequence. First off, they do. Refs do get fined. I don't think it happens very often. Refs do get fined. Do they get fined? Like players get fined? No. Also CJ, I mean, you're aware because you see this, like, there's a whole bunch of paperwork and stuff. And every time they call a technical foul, there's paperwork. If, if anything, these guys, paperwork is keeping them from their post-game beverage. Uh, more texts they call. Like These guys, they're reviewing film. Like, it, it is not, you know, if you want to make, if you want to say the refs stink and, you know, they miss calls, fine. But trust me, these guys work very hard on their craft. Okay, I'm being a referee defender again. Sorry. And they care. And I will say that they do care. I have I've had issues with referees in the past to where we were able to 
you know, amend them in, in person in the future and just kind of talk through like, this is why I was upset. This is what I felt, whatever, whatever. And it sticks with them, like like bad interactions or missed calls or calls in which fans start to say like they missed it on purpose, whatever the case may be. They're not missing calls on purpose. But I will say this, the same thing that goes for our sport in general, same thing that goes for journalism. There are really good journalists and average journalists, and that's just the way it works. There's really good basketball players and average basketball players. The problem is when you get a bunch of average journalists together and they write a story, it's going to be an average story. When you get a bunch of average players together, it's going to be average basketball played, and that's the way it works. And I think what we're seeing now is more of that. Do they care enough, CJ, <clears throat> to have sleepless nights after that? Uh, I, I want to read the tweet from the NBA uh, officials, NBA referees, official NBA refs. Like everyone else, referees make mistakes. We made one at the end of last night's game, and that is gut-wrenching for us. This play will weigh heavily and cause sleepless nights as we strive to be the best referees we can be. Was there like a tone there that uh, that you weren't fond of? or? I definitely think it was gut-wrenching because no referee wants to be on SportsCenter over and over again with those highlights with Pat Bev coming out with the camera. Like, I do believe that that's embarrassing. It's offensive yeah. to the craft. It's just, it's a lot. So, like, I understand that, that standpoint. And I also understand what it's like to be in the arena and the crowd to boo you or, or say, ref, you suck and chant it over and over again. Like, it, it doesn't feel great, especially they got kids, they got family. Like, they're going through a lot during those games. And I've heard fans say some foul things to referees. So, I can imagine what they're feeling sleepless nights. I don't know about that, but I can't speak to what it's like to be a ref on this stage in those moments. I've had sleepless nights as a player. So I can imagine that this is their craft that they probably could have sleepless nights, but it was an inter interesting adjective to use there. Interesting descriptive. I read it as quite literal. I'm not, not, not even kidding. Like that, that, that is the probably worst night of that official's life. I would think the most attention he's ever gotten. Probably I don't know about the wrong worst, worst night of their life, but you know, <laughs> and certain, in a, terms of the it was, public, it was, it was a bad night. I don't know about the worst night of their life, but definitely a I bad mean, night. Look, obviously anybody could have worse nights, but you're, you're talking a lot more severe situations, but there's not going to be an entire country telling you you did horribly uh, in unison than, you know, more than once probably. Yeah. But I'm going to be honest with you. I know the official, I know who the official is, who I think missed the call. I'm not going to say it here. I don't think the average person knows. I don't, I mean, I don't think uh, that person is getting hassled in the airport the next day. The average so, fan probably thinks it was Eric Lewis because Pat Bev went up to him right. with the camera. So That's right. Probably it was think not it was Eric him. Lewis. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, it, because they have a personal pride, I'm sure they do. But um, I don't think it's like if CJ had missed a free throw to win the game, he's got to go. Like, look at that guy, that Bengals player. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, who has a personal foul. Uh, on uh, on uh, Mahomes at the end of the AFC Championship game. Ah, uh, yeah. And he's got to go in front of the media and like basically say, "I screwed up." That dude had a sleepless night. <laughs> Everybody knows who that dude is. Um, it's not. It's not quite the same. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, look, I'm again, this is me overly defending the referees, but I feel like whatever my job is, even if it's not as public as theirs, if I have that horrible of a performance at the end, I think I think I'm struggling. Like, I think I'm literally struggling to get to bed. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you are into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, 
you always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. You know, I just, I was surprised to see that tweet, and I'll bet other people in the NBA were surprised to see it too. I didn't know the referees had a Twitter handle. Yeah, I remember when they came out with it maybe six or seven years ago, and one night, I, I wonder if it was a playoff game. I feel like it was because I feel like I was in Cleveland watching it. They were tweeting during a game. Like they were having officials like sort of comment on plays during the game. They, they did that quite a few times. I was writing about it at the time I was doing some stories on it and I wrote about it a little bit and I wondered, I wondered how the league felt about it. Um, there was an attempt for a while for the officials to uh, be a little bit more humanized um, they allowed a little bit more access all through the referee union. It was not done by the NBA. Um, and they, they even did some stuff where they went out on the street and like, I, you know, I, cause like certain people feel a certain way about Scott Foster, the official, he's, he's one of the more recognizable officials. And I think they like, if I'm remembering correctly, it might not have been Scott, but I'm fairly certain he was one of the guys he went out on the street and they did like a man on the street thing. And they put it on social media, um, to try to like, you know, humanize Scott Foster. Um, or like a mean tweet sort of thing. Um, <laughs> you're laughing because <laughs> you know, Scott. You say um, humanized. <laughs> <laughs> well, he kind of comes off sometimes like a robot. But um, Love Scott Foster, one of the best referees yeah. in the NBA. Yeah. Um, Scott Foster fan. Yeah. You're, you're, I remember when um, uh, <laughs> last year, you know, Scott Foster has his record against Chris, like Chris Paul and Scott Foster have this whole thing. And um, uh, they were going to game seven of um, what, whatever, what series was that after they beat you guys? Oh, game seven of this series that they lost um, to Dallas. the Mavericks. And people were wondering if Scott Foster was going to, um, you know, get that game. Uh, and I had run into Scott in the airport and one of his children was graduating from college and he was on the way to go to the graduation. And I remember seeing people like, oh my God, what if the NBA signed Scott Foster? I was like, well, I know Scott Foster is not going to be uh, um, going to that game. And, you know, I'm just going to say like, uh, if you run into him, he's a good guy, you know? Um, but uh, I understand he gets a lot of high profile games and, and he's not afraid to make uh, calls against the home team. And that makes people feel a certain way. But uh, I'll tell you, if you if you need to have a fairly officiated game, I'd feel OK if Scott Foster was on that crew. I feel OK if Eric Lewis is on that crew as well, quite frankly. I like them because they're not intimidated by the fans. 
They're not intimidated by players. They're going to call the game objectively the way they see it, which is important because sometimes you can get swayed due to the star power or due to the fans, the momentum of the game. And they just like, nope, foul, not a foul, three seconds. And they'll give you a look like not a foul. <laughs> I think that just comes with the experience, right? They have the confidence and the experience, which is why I'm saying if you have too many fresh faces, it's going to be some, you know, some awkward officiating. That is very true. Very, and it's going to so, be it's, same thing for our young players, like young players, deer in the headlights. Like you see it moment may be too big for some, for some players in some moments. Same thing is, is, is true for every career. So the game that that one kind of overshadowed, uh, I thought was the Philly Nuggets game earlier that day on Saturday. And between now and then the time this podcast comes out, the Philly uh, Philly has two games against Orlando. So they'll probably be on continuing this winning streak they're on. And Joel Embiid. No respect. Just, just, just be quiet. Look, look, look. I love the Orlando Magic. Don't get me wrong. I love I the nothing, Magic. They actually what, they beat the, the Celtics, what, three times? Um, but <laughs> last time I said that, it didn't really work out either. But um, yeah, Joel seems to be doing a little bit more quietly i guess i don't know if it's if that's the right word but um he seems to be emerging right there i know he got the sort of starter snub which i don't really think is that huge of a deal because you know coach controls how many minutes he plays and i think the last time this happened what russell westbrook won the mvp after he wasn't the starter as the league's uh leading scorer or whatever he's but, gonna start by the way yeah for for kevin probably i mean i, I don't uh, know for sure but he's probably gonna start yeah um, I mean, yeah, so that part, I think, is a, a, a nonsense controversy. But I'm just wondering if Joel's just underappreciated in general or if people just got tired of him because he was pumping himself up for MVP uh, a couple of years back. I can speak for the player's side. Joel's a monster. I like his personality. I like his game. Um, I like how dominant he is. I like that he you know, wanted to play against the Joker. Like, that was definitely personal. Uh, I thought that he put on the show. I think in this case, and I've seen this on Twitter, and I don't take a lot of – stock in twitter but in this case jason tatum kevin durant Giannis. who are you taking off to put him on there for it's a serious serious question yeah. like not Giannis, not jason tatum tatum was the durant. mvp of the first third of the you know first third of the season right he averages 30 on what was arguably the best team in the east right i mean yeah, they've been the best you're gonna team make an November. argument Picking him over Giannis, you're just going to say, hey, where are they on the MVP ladder currently? And you could you could make the argue of him over Giannis. I, I just think that this is a tough situation. You could have took a guard off and just went with another big. But to, like, take one of them off is just – it's hard to do. And that's saying a lot because JoJo is averaging 33, <laughs> which is – the fact that he's averaging 33 and it's hard to say like he should be on over them is crazy. Like it's, it's a wild thing to say, but like I I'm saying it. Some of the best, like one of the best things about Joel Embiid, like just he's so good that he makes you like kind of forget that James Harden doesn't have to be James Harden anymore. Like uh, the fix for, for the chemistry issues was just Joel, just be Joel. And it feels right. like, now that he's just sort of settled in and everybody around him, like, I don't, I don't know if they need any more pieces. I think they're just going to kind of roll with what they've gotten got. And I feel like the second half or whatever, you know, the post all-star break is going to be kind of Joel showing off as long as he can stay healthy. Well, the thing about it is, you know, they got the number one offense in the league in the, in the last 25 games. Um, and we'll, I don't know what they'll do in these Orlando games, but, um, and one of the big reasons why they're so good offensively better than they've been before is because, with all due respect, they have a off. They have a point guard who's a real offensive threat. I know Simmons didn't play for them last year, 
but they were sort of filling in the gaps there. Now they got they got an MVP, a former MVP playing point guard. So Joel is now working with a with an with a with a point guard who he now has some chemistry with, and like Harden's averaging eleven and a half assists a game. Yep. He he's averaging. I mean, I don't know what'll happen in Orlando if there'll be variants, but Harden's never averaged as many assists. He he won an assist title in Houston, and I think he was right averaging right about this number of assists. So it's working that that thing. And you know, listen, I'm gonna tell you something else. Joel wants to win the MVP. You know, he's not putting it ahead of health. He's not putting it ahead of his team success. Uh, Joel's a very, very proud man. And he is, you know, motivated by the fact that he lost out the last two years and he doesn't want to lose out again. And he wants to be defensive player of the year too. And he wants to be uh, the Magic Johnson all interview award. (laughs) Uh, He wants to win it all. And that's who Joel is. And so we're seeing it right now. And he's healthy. So that's important. They're healthy. I think they're 20 and four in their last 24 games. They've been awesome. They're going through a great spot in the season. You know, he's uh, he's in a good place right now. You got to be a good place at the end, not in the middle, but he's he in a good place. basically gave it to you, showed it to you, told it to you when he hit, I think it was the last step back three where he just kind of yeah. gave the look like it's his hands in the air. Like, what else do you want from me? It was either that or is this your MVP? I don't know what he was trying <laughs> trying to suggest there, but I think that- Is that what you want? Game... <laughs> is this what you want? <laughs> right? What more could I do, man? But uh, he's been, yeah, he's been great. And I wouldn't be, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down to those two big guys again, because CJ, I don't think probably going to need to CJ. I wonder if um, everybody understands how freaking big Joel Embiid is like people say, Oh, you know, like, you know, Jokic is big. Right. But like Embiid is like bigger, like different, like there's a bunch of six, 10, seven foot guys. Embiid's like seven, three, like he's enormous. I don't know if, I, 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 when I, I don't think fans understand necessarily because they, you know, their perspective on TV, they don't get it. Like, that's the biggest thing I can say about an NBA game. Hmm. If you ever can have a chance to watch an NBA game from down low, not even the front row, but like the fifth row. So you can, you're at eye level with these guys. You have no two things that people don't understand. They don't get a chance to see NBA players up close. Number one, you all know what their heights are. I know you know what their heights are, but when you actually see them all playing out there and everybody's 6'8 or 6'10, and then you see the seven foot three guy running down, hitting threes, that's number one. Number two, the speed of the game. The speed of the game is insane. It has been for decades, but it's insane the speed of the game. CJ, I don't think people realize how big Joel Embiid is. They don't. And having guarded them, having played against them, we may not ever see this combination of size and talent ever again, because you talked about the size. He's like seven, three. Right. So imagine like, you know, he's Rudy Gobert's height, essentially. Right. But he has handles. He has a hezzy pull up. He can go through the legs. He shot a step back three with a seven footer on him. He has post moves. He has a Hakeem Olajuwon shimmy jump hook. He can Euro step. He can draw fouls. He can do everything and he can score all three levels every way possible. And then he has a power finesse game. That's not like Shaq, but like sometimes it looks like Shaq. You know what I mean? And I think that's why a lot of them, and I watch, you know, some of the, the feedback and the commentary is like, he could post up every play and still be the most dominant big man in the NBA, but he also has guard skills and can shoot the 15 foot jumper and can pick and pop for threes. And I think I'm not gonna say his game's not appreciated because like what he's doing is ridiculous in its own right. But I think the casual fan, 
and the average fan doesn't understand what it takes from a work standpoint to evolve into that type of player. Because this is a guy who learned how to do a lot of things because of YouTube, right? Like he talks about it. Yeah, he didn't start playing until he was like, what, 16? Was it? He learned how to hoop by watching YouTube, and now he's averaging 33, 10, and 4. He's the body type where if you saw somebody like that in real life, first of all, you'd like stare for a while, but you'd say, man, must be tough getting around for somebody that, you know, of that weight or size or whatever. And then you see him move and it's just, it's just ridiculous. And I, it made me think of Brian, when you mentioned the, um, uh, just the skill set at his size, like watching the Shaq doc and thinking back like on Shaq and everybody's like, man, he's so skilled. Like, yeah, I mean, he had good footwork and good touch around the rim, but he didn't need any of these other skills. Joel Embiid just is, is, you know, not as, not as physically dominant as Shaq was, but the skill set is just exponentially greater. So I think in terms of what we, it seems like we made that sort of jump way too quickly from Shaq to Joel Embiid. And then, you know, Victor Wembanyama is coming next, even though he's not quite as physical. The future of star players is going to be, I think, from Africa. Because you talk about Embiid. He didn't play, played soccer as a kid, didn't play basketball till later in life. Pascal Siakam, same story. Pascal Siakam, like, got plucked out and sent to a camp in South Africa. And if he hadn't, you know, I mean, no, no wonder that he like his third year in the league, all of a sudden he got so much better. He was only like his seventh or eighth year playing basketball or something like that. I don't remember his exact story. Um, there's, I don't know if there's seven foot two, seven foot three guys like that uh, coming from Africa, but there's good. There's more Joel Embiid and Pascal Siakam's in Africa. And now there's a more investment there, with the basketball yeah. Africa league, and it's being scouted better. And Victor Wembanyama, his father is from uh, the democratic Republic of the Congo. That's his, uh, he's, born and raised in um in uh in france but he, that's his uh his heritage and you know um victor's grandfather uh his paternal grandfather was over seven foot tall and uh you know lived in africa and if he had been identified um and scouted who knows what happened to him as a basketball player so um we now we have great european players coming to the league and you know victor Wimbayama is a european player is born and raised in france but and you know Giannis, same thing Giannis is of african heritage like there these there's there's incredible talent coming from uh that part of the world and so um uh if i could buy stock in the future of african basketball yeah. i would because nba people uh, joe kim noah is doing really good work out there with uh, the nba in africa so yeah and obviously uh masai ujiri the giants of africa program like they are investing in africa the nba is investing in africa they own the basketball africa league it's the nba's league so mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean that's a thing cj like you know joel mb has obviously gotten a lot better since he got to the nba but you know um it's 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 a skill set. It's a talent <laughs> that size um, that, uh, you know, you that's the part you can't teach. Um, and uh, he was awesome. He uh, you probably get to see the game, CJ, but he was having so much fun. You know, he's had so many injuries and, you know, rough finishes. And we've seen him. You know, he's an emotional guy. He shows his emotions. We, we've seen him in tears after games. We see him in this one. He like can't stop smiling. It was it was just fun uh, to watch for sure. I enjoyed the celebration too. 
It was great. Yeah. It was, it he was got fined for that. He <laughs> got fined for that. <laughs> it was a little too sexy with it. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that the Sixers offense, like the best in the last, whatever, 25 games. Do you know who has the current best offensive rating in the league? I do. Does CJ know? New Orleans Pelicans. Mm. Oh, maybe no. at one time you got Denver Nuggets. <laughs> no, it was the Denver Nuggets for a second. And right now, Sacramento Kings, the Sacramento Kings by like a percentage point by 0.1. I know that their defense is down at the 20s. And so they're like net ratings, like around a seven, I believe. But um, what are we talking about with the Kings? Like um, playoff sustainable success, success, because when you're talking about going to your like your best players in crunch time, I mean, their two best players shoot 50 and 60 percent guard uh, De'Aaron Fox and uh, Sabonis, respectively. So. I mean, if there are other holes in other areas, it might not be as easily exposed if that's what your go-to is all the time. Is this a question for me? I haven't played against them yet, but I would say is that, that right? I should I should have said Brian, but no, we haven't played against them yet. We got them coming up um, after All Star break. We go to SAC, and I believe they come to us too. But we haven't played them yet. Um, I've watched them on League Pass. It's League Pass must watch. And when they're on TV, the way they play, the pace, Sabonis getting to his left hand, Fox, speed, shooting. They got Malik Monk. They got a lot of weapons. They're playing well. My guy, HB. Shout out to my guy, HB, Harrison Barnes. Finally, you know, back in a winning environment. I'm, I'm happy to see the way that they're playing, the success that they're having. Sustainability is all dependent upon injury, I think, in this league today. Like, injury matters and, like, health matters. So, them staying healthy and you can score, you can compete with anybody. I think them staying healthy, they got action. They just got to stay healthy. I think that's the key. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you guys are really banged up right now. You're not playing your best basketball. Suns were really banged up. They weren't playing their best basketball. You know, Minnesota has been really banged up. They haven't played their best basketball. Health is everything. Health is everything. Especially if you're missing two guys. If you're missing two of your three best players, like the Suns were, like you guys have been, um, you know, Minnesota without, you know, their first or second best player, arguably, you know, for a long time now, like it's, it's really hard, but you know what? The Kings are due some fortune. <laughs> the Kings are due some fortune. <laughs> well, they had about two or three games taken away from them also by some pretty obvious missed calls from reps this year too. So they could be even better. Should be too? Even do even more. Yeah. They, they got some calls missed too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I just wonder uh, with that group, like I, I think that they have that that chemistry. I think they have that um, that the offense that they're running is uh, basically the Warriors' offense, right? Um, <laughs> a lot of it, and Sabonis is just great in that setting. And um, I don't know, man. Like I've seen enough of their games to think that the way they have the shooting around those two guys, that it's they're going to be. I, I know this is a, a, a sort of a cop out, but just a tough out, just a tough out. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. 
You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Yeah, well, they had a couple of interesting things kind of go their way, like... um like Malik Monk, like that wasn't the Lakers didn't want to keep him. It just they right. didn't have his rights, and they and his he played so well with them. It was it was such a good signing and a good fit that he played himself out of the ability to stay in L.A. So they didn't have to compete. He didn't when they wanted to leave. He just he got offered more money. Lakers couldn't match. He walked. Um, you know Kevin Herter. I mean they got him for a protected first round pick because the Hawks spent so much yep. money elsewhere. They just there was. There was no room at the end, and they they got Herder, you know, that way. They, they got a little well. bit lucky in the lottery to hop up to fourth. And, you know, um, then they made the decision to draft Keegan Murray when a lot of people thought they would take Jaden Ivey. So, um, and Keegan Murray's been playing really well. He's got a good chance to be first team all rookie. So um, yeah, it really helps that they've been that they've been pretty healthy. Um, and you're right, CJ. Harrison Barnes is a guy like a like a lot of people thought Harrison Barnes was going to get traded. He was going to, the, you know, the, the Kings were going to move on, go younger and get rid of him. And they, they made the decision to hang on to him. I mean, they had offers, trust me. It's hard to find, you know, he's a combo forward, but he, you know, he plays, he can play on the perimeter to find a guy like that who can score like that, who has that kind of experience. Like they had legit offers and they could have taken one and probably made a trade that would have been a good trade, but they decided to hang on to him. And uh, now he's a really vital part. And, you know, they are going to need somebody who's got experience. They've got like, you know, very little, um, you know, actual playoff experience on their roster. I mean, Sabonis has been around, but he hasn't, he hasn't really gone on any sort of thing like Harrison has. So, you know, keeping him was a really important decision. So you, you line up three or four really good decisions in a row and you get some health. And you get some high draft picks starting to play to their talent level. I mean, that's that's a formula. I mean, that you know, they got more work to do, but they haven't made the playoffs in 16 years. 16 years. Yeah, that's so crazy. It seems like just yesterday. That was one of my favorite teams of all time. Jason Williams is one of my favorite players of all time. But uh, you guys were talking about Joel Embiid, or we were talking about Joel Embiid and his size. Did you happen to see the photograph of him on the sidelines of the Eagles game with fellow noted Eagles fan, Kevin Hart. Brian, did you see this? I just saw it when Jackson sent it to me a few seconds ago. Um, <laughs> it has to be the most unintentionally hilarious photo. I mean, unless Kevin Hart was doing a thing where he wanted to stand by the biggest guy in the stadium. But I mean, it definitely looks like a man and his grandson went to a game. <laughs> a man it's, and his grandson is crazy, by the way. That's a crazy. <laughs> it's um, it's Joel Embiid. And Kevin Hart, and the third guy in the photo has got more money than both of them combined. Uh, Mr. Rubin, Michael, Michael Rubin, yeah. uh, who, who and who he could post up Kevin Hart, but you know could easily, easily. <laughs> but you know Kevin Hart doesn't come up to Joel's elbow. No, you know, with, you know and I barely do either. I'm certainly not in position to uh, to say that. But I met Kevin Hart a good... at a Heat game once. He was sitting courtside, Brian, and his feet weren't touching the ground, and it was hilarious. <laughs> Didn't you weren't you buddies with Kevin Hart back in the day, like before he got not buddies? I mean, that same time that he that I met him, he gave me tickets to his show, which was great. But 
Um, no, he wouldn't remember me if I saw him today. Uh, well, how do you know? He's a big basketball fan. He would know you. Maybe. Yeah, I agree. Next I, year, uh, CJ, the Browns will be in the AFC Championship game next year. Um, we've got some work to do, but it's definitely possible that we were a couple wins away from uh, seeing Mahomes or Joey B again. Um, I can't, I can't how, believe how old, what Patrick Mahomes did, by the way. He's how awesome. old were you in the early 90s? You weren't old enough, right? 91, baby. So how early? No way. Well, now, see, I'm so old. I remember the Kozar years. That was, you don't. I met Bernie so You've never in your whole life. I met Bernie You've never in older. your whole life seen the, the Browns, like, have any, like, a real playoff. I've seen us make the playoffs twice. I think we, we made it in, like, 99. Um, and there's another year where we made it. Um, 99 is when they came back. So they made it, like, 2002. And then they made it, I think, like one more time, maybe. I think it was Holcomb. We had a 500 year where we had uh, Peyton Hillis. Yeah. Um, and then there was one more year. And then we 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 made it a couple of years ago with Baker. Yeah. And they won a game that year. Yeah. yeah. Lifesaver, yeah. Peyton Hillis. Shout out to Baker Mayfield, man. Shout out to my guy, Shake and Bake. Two, you've seen two playoff, basically two playoff appearances in your whole life. And mm-hmm. you, you're like the Sacramento Kings fans. You're just like, oh. we'll take anything. Any Anything. form of success we gravitate towards. I'm irrational, like most fans. Only I stopped watching Browns games seven weeks into the season. I stopped watching. This is the first year in a long time that I just stopped. I couldn't watch. Um, it was hard. It was hard for me to watch. Um, mentally and physically draining. And I began to focus on my fantasy football teams. <laughs> Not a lot of sympathy from a Dolphins fan here. I can't remember the last time I saw a Dolphins playoff win. Well, you I guys mean, got a good grade, team I think. now. Tenth you got grade. a good team now, though. Yeah, but now you have no idea if you got a quarterback who can play. You so, could have Tom Brady soon, so hang on. No, nope, nope. Dolphins said they're not going after him, and I totally believe them. Uh, yeah. Why would they lie? <laughs> well, All thank right, you, guys, as always. And um, I hope you guys have a fantastic couple weeks before the break. And get your Break that losing team. streak, CJ. It can happen in Denver. I, I see 37 from you, eight assists. Mm. And at the end, the call goes your guy's way. That's what I, that's what I say. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. I love the positivity. <laughs> Be careful not to reopen the gash on Nikola Jokic's arm. It just keeps getting opened up. With the, uh, I think the Nuggets are like 18 and 4 at home. <laughs> Stop. Don't do that.